Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Brian, that's Eric, and it's December, Eric. And so we're starting a brand new little three-week Christmas series to get people in the spirit, and we're calling it Expecting Jesus. Why, why in the world are we calling our Christmas series Expecting Jesus? Well, you know, my wife and I recently had a baby, and so I've got a like baby on the brain, um, and also around the church, there's a lot of new parents with babies, and so I thought about man, it'd probably be pretty cool to look at uh, Jesus' life in the womb or what was going on. What's the backstory to the Christmas story as we lead up to his birth on on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? And so expecting Jesus, kind of like that book, What to Expect While Expecting. I probably saw that title on our Mm -hmm. bookshelf recently, and I thought, yeah, this would be really cool. It'd relate to a lot of uh, the women and the younger families in the church, and it'd be really cool to look at what was going on. What does the Bible have to say during that time? Well, yeah, and today we're going to talk about the unexpected family. We are going to look at the sort of the backstory of Jesus. We get the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament, also the first of the four gospels. And we see this genealogy, and you know, a lot of people are into genealogies these days, uh, 23 and Me. And we're gonna we're gonna kind of do a little bit of that with Jesus, twenty three and Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know what, like what, who was in Jesus's storyline, who was in, in in his backstory, who's in his family tree? Because I think a lot of people, in in fact, some people even listening to this right now might not really fully understand Jesus, and and that Jesus didn't just all of a sudden come about. You know, two thousand years ago, we we of course celebrate his birth, but but he's the Son of God. He was. He is God Himself. He existed before the creation of the world, and yet we have this genealogy in Matthew, and there's some significance to the names in the list that we see in Matthew chapter one. I think a lot of people skip past the genealogies in the Bible too. There's there's this one in Matthew, the another one in Luke. That's the one that we might reference um, today. There's genealogies in the Old Testament as well, and I think when you get to those, it's like okay, there's nothing really to learn here. We're just seeing a bunch of boring names that I probably can't pronounce or I'm going to butcher when I when I read this out loud. Um, but I believe, we believe as Christians, that all Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that, is all Scripture is useful for teaching. And so even though it seems like there's not a lot to learn from the genealogy in the beginning of of the New Testament of the Gospels, I think if we pause, we take a look at it a little bit closer, we're going to see that this family tree, this ancestry line of Jesus, it really actually tells an amazing story. Um, and so... Right off the bat, it says, Matthew 1.1, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. And then it's just going to go and and read a bunch of different names. But we're going to see that the first point is that the ancestry line of Jesus shows us, really, the storyline of the Bible. Yeah, in fact, I'll read some of those names. It says in Matthew 1, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. So he's just kind of going from backward to forward, right? He he sort of traces this for these several verses. So he's talking about 
Judah and Perez and Hezron and Ram. Now, a lot of people might know those first few names, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, mm-hmm. maybe even Judah. Then there might be a name here or there that you look at. You're like, okay, wait, I recognize David. That was the guy with the with the slingshot, right? Mm-hmm. And who killed Goliath. Okay, I recognize David. And maybe you've heard of Solomon or Bathsheba. Um, well, maybe maybe you've heard I don't know some of these some of these other names in here. But most people would only recognize a couple of these names until, again, Matthew brings us all the way to present day. For him, he says at the end in verse sixteen, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And so, what when you say that this is the right here, instead of just skipping over this, that we should pause on this and say, wait, there's a storyline here that that is, that is, you know, kind of buried in mm-hmm. a little bit in this, in this text in Matthew. What do you mean by that, the storyline of Jesus? Well, first of all, I think that what Matthew is trying to do, his audience is going to be mostly Jewish people. And so, first of all, what Matthew's trying to do is trying to prove that Jesus is actually this promised son, the Messiah, from the Old Testament. And so he's he's trying to make a case that they should see Jesus the, the way that the Christians do. You know, in the first century, as he as he wrote this, as he starts the gospel, his his desire is that people would see really the fulfillment of the prophecy of this promised son. And he traces the genealogy back. And even in, in Luke, it's interesting, it's, it's uh, Mary's family line and not Joseph's. And in, Mar- in Luke, it actually goes all the way back to the beginning to Adam and Eve. And so he's trying to, they're, they're, the gospel writers are trying to make this point that we should really pay attention to this Jesus that, that you guys basically just killed. <laughs> we should really pay attention because some of these big names are guys that you guys know very well from the Old Testament, like Adam and Eve, like Abraham and Sarah, and David and Bathsheba. And if we go back and we look at some of their stories, we're going to see that God had promised them a son through their union, uh, through through Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah. And, 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 so, and we're going to see as we look at, if we go back into the Old Testament, some of these promises are pointing right to Jesus, just like this um, genealogy is. Okay, so let's back up, because I want to make sure that our listeners heard what you said there, because a lot of people might not really even realize that the story of the Bible is about one person. Mm-hmm. The whole story of the Bible is about one person, and that person is Jesus. And it's not just the Christmas, it's not just baby Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, five pounds, six ounces Jesus. It's <laughs> grown-up Jesus. It's like, this is what the whole Bible is about, is it's telling us this plan. You know, the Jews called him the Messiah. Messiah means Savior. So it's this it's this long-awaited Messiah. You might even hear that phrase in some of the Christmas carols. Like, you've got this, this baby. Why, why is it such a big deal that Jesus was born in the world? Because this is, this is like the watershed moment in history, according to Christianity, according to the Bible. And so... Once again, the reason the genealogy is so important is because it is it points us, it reminds us to look back at the Old Testament and see all of the places in the Old Testament that pointed forward, mm-hmm. not just to the birth of Jesus, but also to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So not just to Christmas, but also to Easter. And so let's just look at three of them real quick. So Adam, for example, the first 
human. So the verse is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and God is speaking here to the serpent, the one who deceived, who deceived Adam and Eve, and he says this to the serpent, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, speaking of the offspring of the woman, which again, we find out later is Jesus. So Jesus will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So how, this is called the Proto-Evangelion, or the first appearance of the gospel mm-hmm. in the Bible. Eric, explain that. Well, it, just like you said, the sin entered into the world because Satan deceived Adam and Eve, and, and so the way that God decides to deal with it is he, he says, I'm going to send this promised seed, this promised offspring, this son that's ultimately going to defeat Satan. And so it uses that that verbiage of, yeah, you might strike his heel, you might wound him. Um, that could be referring to the crucifixion, but yet Jesus rose from the dead. But one day Satan's going to be defeated once and for all. When Jesus died on the cross, it defeated certainly his power over sin and death. So that's what it's really pointing to, the, the gospel, like you said. And then fast forward a few more generations, and we co- we go from Adam to this this character in Genesis 12 named Abraham. And this is where really the sort of the, the beginning of the Jewish nation gets traced to Father Abraham had many sons, right? We all know that song from, mm-hmm. from Sunday school. And it's talking about Abraham because Abraham is the first name in Matthew 2 in the genealogy. He's the first name that we have tracing back to Jesus. And here's here's where it all started, Genesis 12 2. God is speaking to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation. Now remember, at this point, Abraham doesn't have any kids. Abraham and Sarah have no kids. They're older already, and they're childless, and yet God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And then he says, all the families on the earth will be blessed through you, or another translation says, through your seed. So what is God talking to there? What is God referring to there with Abraham? Again, God is referring to the same thing, um, just in a different way, you know, as he said it to Satan as a judgment, he's saying it to Abraham as a blessing. And he's saying, you know, through you and your wife, even though you don't think you're going to be able to have any children, um, I'm going to do it so so you know that it's a miracle and it's from me first and foremost. That also kind of points toward, you know, the story of... Uh, what we'll get into later mm-hmm. with with Mary and yeah. the angel, but yeah. he's doing it as uh, miraculous. They they were beyond age, and he's saying that this blessing that's going to come through you is from your seed, and it's Jesus Christ who's going to bless all nations because he's going to bring salvation with him. Now, again, he doesn't say all that in Genesis mm-hmm. 12, but as we look at Matthew 1, the genealogy, and we go back to Abraham in the Old Testament. Now we start opening up the Old Testament, the New Testament. We're like, wait a second, is this what Matthew's talking about? He's talking about this promise that God made to Abraham all these years ago that took thousands of years to be fulfilled. It was a long, long time, many generations that came and went waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the promised Messiah that was spoken spoken about all the way back in Abraham. Now again, go back to Matthew 1 and trace that lineage from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Keep going down the list. 
And then in verse number six, you'll see this guy named David. And and that's what brings us to 2 Samuel. So fast forward even more, 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 7, it says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Remember, God is saying this to David. It's a promise he's making to David. It's an extension of the promise given to Abraham. Now it, he's extending it to David. He's getting more specific. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's not just talking about Solomon, David's mm-hmm. next son, son. He's talking ultimately, again, about Jesus. Yeah, this is what you would call the Davidic covenant. Um, it's the promise. So, so the first one's the Abrahamic covenant. This is the Davidic covenant where... Uh, God is saying that there will be someone to occupy your throne forever, and really the idea of the throne is is the kingship, the real king who will not die, but the, the king who will last forever. And that's Jesus, we find out, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he ultimately occupies the throne, even now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Again, we take a look at this, and we're just given three examples, Adam and Abraham and David, but it shows that it shows us that the Bible is true, that that there's certainly an author behind all of this. It's not just random stories thrown together. Like we can trace this thread all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it all points to Jesus. And he, but here's the cool thing that we learn about it, as we go back and just dive even a little bit deeper into it. Let's look at a few more names on the list here, Eric. It's the cool thing is that that God invites sinners to be a part of the story. So you might think, well, Adam must have been pretty special, or mm. Abraham must have been pretty good, or David must have been perfect because God only uses good people and perfect people, and that's probably a misconception that a lot of regular seekers would have about God. Actually, no. When you really understand the genealogy, like that genealogy is just filled with broken people. And hopefully that helps us and and people who don't even know the storyline the Bible see kind of how gracious God really is that he would come down and intervene in hum- human history and he would and throughout his whole redemptive plan want to use sin- sinners just like you and me because really that's all he has to use in the first place the Bible says <laughs> that everyone is sinned all all people are broken all people are sinners and so God had to use these people, but he also wanted to. Uh, The funny thing about, as we look through some of their stories, is, you know, you think about your family line. You think about your genealogy. Think about some of your crazy cousins or uncle or aunt or some of the people that have issues in your family, and then let's trace back the the issues of the people in Jesus' family. You're going to think... Wow, we have a lot of similarities. Or wait, wait, maybe Jesus' family was worse than mine. <laughs> okay, so let's get let's look at some examples. Okay, yeah, let's start with Noah. Now, again, we you said that God had to use imperfect people. Well, some people might say, well, why don't you just get rid of everyone and start over? Well, he kind of tried that, mm. right? With the flood, the people were so wicked. He was sad that he even created people, and so. Just Noah and his family. Noah was righteous in his family. So I guess you could make the argument that, okay, look, maybe he was kind of trying to start over there, that that Noah was really sinless. Well, uh, mm-hmm. no, actually, that's not true. Even though Noah was more righteous than people in his generation. Yeah. We have this crazy story that Noah, after the flood and the ark and that whole story, that Noah gets shamefully drunk and 
and that sadly is is part of the story of the Bible, right? That's that's part of the story that we have as Christians to look back at. It's a little bit embarrassing. Yeah, part of his legacy is that uh, he he's a drinker. Maybe you've got people like that in your family. Maybe that's you, <laughs> but don't feel shame, even though he got shamefully drunk. Again, Jesus is used to people like you and me and the people in your family. And, and he's, yeah. still, he's still willing to have you in his family exactly. tree. Or, or let's go back to Abraham. People don't maybe know this story about Abraham, but he, he comes into town, this one town, into this one nation, and he's, a, he's afraid of the king. He's afraid that there's a whole backstory to this, but the bottom line is he, he, he tells his wife to lie that she was his sister, not his wife. <laughs> and, and so... Like, I can't even imagine doing that with my wife. Like, it's almost like she's a pawn for you. And, well, not to mention that he's lying. He's, he's lying. He's encouraging her to lie and to deceive. And, and, and it wasn't just Abraham who did it. It turns out that Abraham's son, Isaac, ends up doing the same thing. And this mm-hmm. isn't surprising because we, we see this a lot of times, that the sins of the father gets passed down to the son. And so you can read Abraham's story in Genesis 12, and you can read... Isaac's story, his son in Genesis 26, same, same basic story. It almost feels like it's the same story, but it's, it's a different story. It's a different generation. But again, they're doing this crazy thing, lying about their wife. And, and once again, you're like, why? Why would they do this? Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons, Eric, is because it's because God wants to show us that these people, even in the story, even in the genealogy of Jesus, these people are imperfect. And then, then you move to Jacob, you know, the son of Isaac, and isn't that such a... It's an interesting story because not only did he sin, you know, he stole his brother's birthright and bless, and then his mom, you know, his mom gets him to pretend like he's the brother and uh, fools the dad, and it's just the most interesting thing, but still Jacob is used by God. It was like... That story played out to get the blessing passed down through him, you know, from from his grandfather Abraham, and yet God still uses him, and that kind of reminds me of some things that we've been talking about lately, you know, the sovereignty of God, even in all of our choices, we can't thwart God's plan. If he has this plan and promise of redemption and salvation... um, we, we sometimes think we can screw it up, but this, these stories kind of show us that, no, the grace of God extends beyond even our bad decisions. Yeah. Let's just look at two more examples, because this is fun. But we could do so much more of this, right? But da- how about David, right? This is the ultimate. David is literally, like, when I, there's a part in Scripture that says David is a man after God's own heart. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around because I know David's story. Like he did some really terrible things. David is not a guy that I would want to introduce my daughter to. Mm-hmm. David, David was already married, and he sees this woman that he lusts after, and her name's Bathsheba. She's married to this guy named Uriah the Hittite, who was one of David's mighty warriors. So here Uriah is out on the battlefield. And he's fighting for David and for the nation, and he's get, he's like willing to give up his life. And what's David doing? David's at home, cheating on his wife, like mm-hmm. like cheating on Uriah's wife, like having an affair with Uriah with Bathsheba. It wasn't Bathsheba's idea. It was like the king comes and kind of forces himself. I mean, it's just terrible. It's a terrible story. 
and gets gets her pregnant, right? You can see this whole story in 2 Samuel 11. I mean, people think I'm making this up. This is a real story from the Bible. He he gets her pregnant, and then and then he, he's like, how am I going to cover this up? Everyone, when you sin, your first instinct is to try to cover it up. So he covers it up by having Uriah sent for. He brings Uriah back. He says, hey, go be with your wife. Mm-hmm. He's trying to make it look like that... You know that it's Uriah's son and or Uriah's kid and not his, but no, Uriah has too much honor and integrity. Uriah won't sleep with his wife because because his 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 band of brothers is out there on the battlefield, so he won't. T- so like we look, we hear the story and we're like, man, Uriah is such a stud. What an awesome guy Uriah is, and David is a loser. I can't believe how big of a loser David is. David sends Uriah back out, has him killed on the battlefield ends up taking Bathsheba as his wife. And Eric, to me, the craziest part of the story is of, of, of all of David's wives, it's Bathsheba. Now, it wasn't that kid. That kid's, kid ends up dying, right? The kid that he conceived mm-hmm. in that moment. But the next kid that Bathsheba ends up having is Solomon. So, so And Solomon ends up in Matthew 1 in the storyline of Jesus. So now we see this this thread of Jesus's storyline that gets pulled through David. I can't even believe it. And then Solomon and Bathsheba. So you have, it's almost like you have to have these names. Like if I was God, I would have been like, I'm going to reroute this through Uriah. He was the good guy. He's the story that I want in Matthew one. He's the guy that I want in the family tree, but somehow for somehow God uses David and Solomon and Bathsheba. Yeah, and then it even, you know, if you scan, you could scan and keep looking at all these names and go back to the Old Testament. You know, another shocker in there is is Rahab, who wasn't even uh, Jewish. She was a, a prostitute, and um, they met her when the, I think it was Joshua, Joshua and Caleb came and spied out the land of the, the land that God had promised them to go take, and, but she, you know, through a certain act, was allowed to be able for whatever reason, in the the family tree of Jesus. And so we even see non-Jewish people, but Gentiles like, like Ruth in there as well. And that actually, you know, is something that, that doesn't even get expounded on until later in the New Testament when Jesus is fully grown. And, and actually, actually when he, he, he does allude to the idea that he's going to open up salvation to non-Jewish people, but it's not even until he dies and then goes to heaven that that actually makes it more clear through his apostles, like like Paul clears that up and Peter clears that up in the book of Acts. But, but yet we see hints of the gospel story. We see hints of, you know, all the things that are play, taking place um, in the Old Testament that even lead into the New Testament. As you said before, you know, the Bible is all about Jesus. The Old Testament is pointing to him, and and everything in the New Testament is looking back to him and his crucifixion and resurrection. And and that is why uh, I thought it was just such a great idea to look at this genealogy, because, you know, sin and these sinners don't, don't, they're not disqualified even though they're his crazy family, they were used by God. You and I can be used by God, but there is something that happens for that needs to happen first before we get to that point. Well, yeah, and so really I think we should probably end. This is a little bit theological now. Mm-hmm. So, so far I think people are saying, well, I didn't realize about the genealogy of Jesus or that, that, my, that's, that 
my sin doesn't disqualify me from being in his story because it didn't do it for any of these guys in Matthew 1. But really, let's end on a little bit more of a theological note that the reason that that we get to join the family of God, right? So Matthew 1 isn't just about looking backward at his genealogy, but really if if we look forward now to the family of Jesus, because John chapter 1 says that we have the right to become children of God, mm-hmm. so all who believed in him and are accepted, we have this right to become children of God. We're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word whose Jesus became human, made his dwelling among us. The whole point that John is making in his gospel, John chapter 1, is essentially that we're a part of the family tree of Jesus. And the reason that we get to be, 2,000 years later, a part of the family tree of Jesus is because of what we celebrate at Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's because God became a man. So, Eric, that's a little bit harder for people to wrap their minds around. Explain that. Well... You know, first, first, I just want to deal with kind of what you said, you know, looking forward, the, the whole point of Jesus coming was the redemptive plan of God, as we just explained and looked at by looking at some of these Old Testament stories. Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies of blessing, of the prophecy to, to fight against Satan, um, but he was ultimately the fil- fulfillment of, of salvation for people past, present, and future. And so by faith in this Son, this promised Son that we celebrate every Christmas and then His death and resurrection on Easter, by, by faith in Him, the Bible says that we, we weren't born into His genealogy, but yet we can be adopted into His family. Mm-hmm. The Bible actually says that we're all sinners and that we're, we are not God's family, but we're, we're born children of the devil, and, and that it's only by faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin and our sin nature that then can we be washed clean, made new, and adopted into the family of God. But now you and me, uh, sons and daughters, can be um, adopted into the Almighty God's family through faith in Jesus, and now forward-looking, we're in that family tree, and now we get to go spread that news, and it's not through you know, um, the way that Jesus came about, but yet we get to go spread that news so that more people can come into the family. But why, Eric, why why did Jesus have to become man, right? I yeah. guess, you know, yeah. we, we made this comment earlier that, mm-hmm. that, that your sin, Jesus uses sinners or God uses sinners because if he didn't, then, then we wouldn't have Jesus because Jesus, but I guess, some people would say, "Well, why didn't why didn't Jesus come down like from a like from a stork? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like why didn't God why didn't Jesus just appear one day? Why did he have to be born into humanity? Why did he have to be born? This is the theological yeah. p- question we're addressing. Why did he have to be? Why not? Why not write it in the clouds? I love you, and you can all be part of my family now. Because this is part of what John is getting at in John one. Why not just say?" I'm going to just skip over the whole screwed up humanity stuff and I'm going to provide a way of salvation that just sort of magically drops a grown adult down here. Why didn't Jesus just appear one day fully grown? Why did he have to be born? Because I think this is important for people to understand. Mm -hmm. Why did he have to be born into the world 
at, in human form. Why did he have to, as the Bible says, why did he have to take on flesh in order to be our Messiah? Because without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there's no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus, before he became a human, did not have a body, right? So he had to become human so that he could actually die. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, who is the Son of God, who has always existed, as what John is saying there in the first part, he's always been, but he had to take on this new nature so that he could become the sacrifice for our sins, so that he could actually die and then be resurrected and glorified. And so the simple answer is for the sacrifice of our sins. I mean, it's, it's a lot deeper than that, but it does remind me of, if you go back to, I believe, the story of Isaac in the Old Testament and, um, he was going to sacrifice his son. Right. Right? And and then God provided the sacrifice right at the last moment. God provides the, the spotless ram, which would have represented Jesus. He was the substitutionary atonement, is what you would call that. And that, again, points to Jesus. He was the substitutionary atonement, the human that came... Um, God in the flesh came down to stand in our place of punishment, only... Only as a human could he die, but only as God could he take on all the sins of the world and be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. And so this is Jesus from that genealogy. Yeah, I know we just got really deep there, but that, that's where we're starting to bring in Easter, right? That mm-hmm. the resur- it wasn't the, the beauty of Christmas is it is not beautiful without Easter. The reason it's so beautiful is because we realize this was God's chosen rescue plan for humanity that he would actually he would actually come and take on flesh. This is what John is saying in John 1. He would take on flesh so that all these broken, sinful people in the genealogy of Jesus, again, it started with Abraham, that all these broken people would have hope. And the hope is not in their works. And that's I think that's one of the reasons probably God includes such broken people, and he includes such embarrassing stories about Abraham and David and all these guys, is because he wants to make sure to get this point across. Abraham wasn't chosen by God because of Abraham. Mm. Abraham was chosen by God because of God. Mm -hmm. David wasn't chosen by God because of David. He was chosen because of God. It's God's mercy. It's God's grace. It's God's gift. And again, this is where we see the forward-looking genealogy of Christ, that we are included as children of Abraham. This is how Paul says it in Romans chapter 4. He says that, look, the promise is received not by working for it. Abraham wasn't justified before God because he obeyed God and put Isaac on the altar and was willing to sacrifice. It wasn't his obedience that qualified Abraham to be a child of God, to be included in the genealogy of Christ. It was his faith. And this is what Paul makes clear to us. It is by faith. And here's what's cool about this. And he says, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is a father of all who believe. And this is what's so cool about that genealogy, understanding the genealogy, is we we see that Abraham is at the beginning of the genealogy in Matthew, but then later on, authors like Paul help us to connect the dots and realize, oh, wait a second, and we are in Abraham's line as Mm -hmm. well. 
that, we, but we're not in Abraham's line because we're Jewish, because you're not Jewish, Eric. Mm-hmm. I'm not Jewish. We're in Abraham's line, or in other words, we are children of the promise. So go back to Genesis 12. We are the, we are the among those who are blessed because of the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham is Jesus, and we are blessed. We are blessed with Abraham through Jesus on one condition, and that condition is that we believe, that we have faith. We have faith in a God who became human and made his dwelling among us. We have faith in a God who went to the cross and took on our sins on the cross and died on the cross. We have faith in a God who rose from the dead and defeated sin and death and the grave. And it is by that faith that we are unexpectedly, right? Even though we're sinners, it's by faith that we're included in the storyline of Jesus. Yeah, so I think I just want to bring it back home, you know, and and close with maybe asking you out there in virtual world that's listening to this, um, if maybe you look at your family and you've come from kind of a crazy background and history and you say, maybe maybe I can relate to Jesus. But, but you hear all this and all the things that we've been talking about and... Um, you feel lost. You feel like you don't quite get it yet. You feel like, um, you know, maybe you realize that you're a sinner and you can identify with some of these guys in this story. Um, well, I would just challenge you to, to, to understand and, and hopefully grasp onto some of the things we've been talking about, that God does want sinners in his family. Ultimately, he does, and he sent his son to come and die in our place, the the judgment that we deserve for our sins, Christ took on himself, God becoming human so that he could die, as we have already talked about, and he did that specifically for you, but you do have to receive that by faith, and if you will trust in Jesus today, you can join the new family, even if you've got a crazy family now and you want to get, get rid of them, you can join this new family of God and be with him forever and his people forever. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.